morning. Well, um, let, me, let me read a few verses from the book of John chapter 21, uh, from verse 15. Let me start there. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Well, it really is a joy to be here with you all. Uh, Brian is a good friend, a dear friend, and to come here to serve you guys, I, that was an easy decision for me to make. Uh, I've been here before, and I loved it then, I love it now, and uh, you will not be able to keep me away. I'm just going to keep coming back. <clears throat> I want to bring you a very simple word that I feel the Lord has laid on my heart for you today. And uh, my prayer is that the Lord will touch you. I'm entitling it, uh, God's people, being God's people. God wants to make you a pillar, becoming a pillar in God's house. God wants you to be a pillar, becoming a pillar in, in God's house. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the strength you give. Thank you for this moment. Thank you. I thank you for my life. Thank you for how you, what you have made my life into. I am grateful. I am very satisfied in you, O oh Lord. And as I come to preach in these moments, would you come attend this, I pray, and let it be your words, not mine. I believe in you, O oh Lord. I know that there is nothing that you cannot do. And with your enablement, there's nothing that I cannot do. I can run through a troop. I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord, he is flawless. He is a shield to all those who come to him. Who is like God? There's none like God. There's no rock like him. There's no rock like you, O Lord. Glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, always doing wonders. It's you that we come to this morning. So let... These words, O oh Lord, be your words. Let the meditation of my heart come out and bless your people, that at the end of it, we all be edified and Jesus glorified in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, chapter 3 and verse 12, it says, He who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. It actually goes on to say, and I will put on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, and I will put on him my own new name. This is Jesus speaking. He who conquers, I will make him into a pillar. Jesus wants to make you into a, 
into a pillar. Pillars stand for many things. At the very least, it stands for, it represents solidity, that which is solid. When you look at a pillar, you don't think, you don't look at it as something weak. You look at it as something strong, filled through with concrete, something substantial. A pillar, strong, it's not easily moved. Also speaks of stability, that which is stable, that which is which is, it's not easily moved. In fact, it is so solid and so its roots go deep down. It has become dependable. It has become reliable. So much so that when you, these pillars I see here, that you can lean on a pillar. You don't even think about it. When a pillar is there, you're talking to a friend, you just lean on the pillar. You don't think it's going to move. It's not going to move. It's designed to stay there permanently. If you're in the mood, you even put your foot on the pillar. You don't even think much about the pillar. The pillar is there. It stands for solidity and stability. Also stands for strategy. That pillars are not, you know, in building this building, in putting it up, they didn't just have a blueprint and a plan and someone said, ooh, ooh, I think we should have those things. What things? Those things. What do they call pillars? Yeah, we should have a couple of those. That's not how they go about it. Neither do they say, okay, we'll have four pillars, just align them all on that side. It doesn't go that way. The building will not stand. Pillars are carefully placed, strategically placed in particular places that the whole building may hold up properly. God wants to make you exactly that kind of person. Solid, stable, and carefully positioned with purpose. He wants to settle you in the place where he has put you, rooted, grounded, solid, dependable, so that he can now use you for the work that he wants you to do, work that he has prepared for you before now. And of course, when the Bible talks about all this, it is not talking about pillars, physical fixtures of a building. It's talking really about people, where he actually says in the book of, uh, uh, I forget, I think it's the book of Galatians, it talks about James and Peter and John, who he says that there are pillars in the house of God. Pillars in the house of God, Galatians 2.9. So God wants to make you a pillar. If, what is interesting when you see those names there, James and Cephas, that is Peter and John. Uh, maybe James and John, you might excuse. But Peter, P- P- Peter is, it doesn't come up in my mind if you want to name someone as a pillar, Peter is not one of those that you would have named if you knew him or read about him, know his profile. We're talking here about a guy who was very impetuous. The kind of person, you probably know that kind of person. They don't think things through. Very enthusiastic. I I actually have a guy, one of our friends, frankly, one of our leaders. He scares me half the time. Um, You know, because he has, it's 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 a new idea every minute. And if I don't stop him, he'll go. Now, 5% of the time, it works out well. The rest of the time, it just comes back injured. There are people like that. They don't think things through. They just get up, they go all passionate, and then smack without Peter. On one occasion, when Jesus, when the disciples were on the boat, you know the story well, and they see a ghost coming, and they're scared like little girls. Ah, we're going to die, we're going to die. And eventually, they find out, hang on, it looks like, and it turns out it's Jesus. What would you have done? You would, you would have said, oh, 
you scared us, but just come in the boat, Jesus. Come in. Not Peter. Peter looks at it and says, is it you, Lord? He's like, oh, can I come? Can I come? If I was there with him, I'd be like, keep quiet. Can I come? Just can I come, Lord? Bid me come and I will come. Now I know he jumped over and he walked on water for a bit and eventually began to sing. All I'm trying to say is, if I was in the boat, me jumping and walking, I don't think that would be the first thing to come to my mind. But for Peter, it was the first thing to come to his mind. Very, very impetuous. On one occasion, Jesus sent the disciples to go ahead and uh, just get things ready. He's going to come that way. And the people in the town were like, we don't want Jesus to come. We don't want him to come this way. People were kind of scared of him. And they come back and the words the disciples had, and Peter was one of their leaders, was, they don't want you. This is our suggestion. Should we call fire from heaven to burn them all? No, we are Christians. We don't do that. <laughs> Call fire from heaven to burn them. That, that's the, on the Mount of Transfiguration, this is like one of the most awesome moments for humanity ever. Okay? Jesus is there. The uh, uh, prophets from who had died long ago are now, God is showing them and you're seeing them. And Peter was there along with the uh, two other disciples with Jesus. This is a kind of moment. It's like a real God moment. You kind of keep quiet in moments like this. If I were there, I would be quiet. I would do my best kind of prayer deal. And, and maybe a cross to go with it or something. <laughs> That's what I would do. I would, not Peter. Peter sees all these amazing things and he says to Jesus, excuse me, Lord. Excuse me. Is there any chance? Can we stay here forever? Can we do this? Can we? You feel like saying, shut up. You're making us look back. Keep quiet. This is an awesome moment. That's Peter for you. On one occasion, on one, this is really interesting. One occasion, they came to arrest Jesus. And then the soldiers come. They're trying to take Jesus. Peter takes his sword and cuts off the ear of one of the people. He slashes off an ear in the name of the Lord. And so there he is with the sword standing, presumably blood coming out of it, looking at Jesus. Saying, yeah, I, I slashed it. I slashed it. Now, Jesus had to go and heal that guy. So here we have a disciple giving the master even more work. He's not the kind of guy you would think of and think, a pillar in the house of the Lord. I don't think, he's the kind of guy that when you have a visiting preacher, you want to hide him behind so he doesn't do anything weird. I know where you hide your people behind. I'm going <laughs> to... And yet the Bible says that he's a pillar. Let me tell you something about God. He can take you from wherever you are and make you into who he wants you to be. And he has a way of taking the worst and making them the best. It's his trade, you know. It's his way. He made him a pillar. How did this come about? There's a whole process here. Let me tell you how it begins. It really begins with a moment of God himself impregnating the person with who he is. With who he is. A moment of conception. Let me tell you how this started. 
This guy, Peter, was, uh, he was not a nasty piece of work. He wasn't. He had a fishing business. He was a partner with a few other, couple of other people in this fishing business. You get the feeling the more you read about him. Now, he's the kind of guy that he was, he was an Israelite. He's, a, he's Jewish. So he, he knew about God and so on. But you don't get the idea this is somebody really walking with God and seeking God. In those days, people were always waiting for the Messiah to come. And they had so many rabbis who would come and preach and teach. On this occasion now, Jesus is there and he's teaching and he's preaching. And Andrew, his brother, is there and he sees Jesus preaching. He runs to Peter and says to Peter, we found him. We have found the Messiah. And Peter comes. And so get the scene now. Jesus is preaching to probably a handful of people there. Andrew and Peter come. They doubtless sit there somewhere. Jesus is preaching and preaching. And in John chapter 1 verse 42, the Bible says, And Jesus, he saw Peter, Simon, his name was, he saw him and he said to him, the Bible says he looked at him and he said to him, You are Simon. You will be called Peter. That's a massive moment. It's the, if, if I right now as a preacher came and walked right up to one of you and stood right in front of you, looked at you very, very carefully and then spoke to you, that moment, you would go away thinking about that moment, wouldn't you? Says Jesus looked at him. The word used there goes beyond Jesus having a casual glance. It's a penetrating gaze. Jesus looked at him. Not just did he look at him. He called him by name. He says, Simon, this is who you are. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Jesus knows who you are. More than you know who you are. He knows who you are. The psalmist says in the psalm, Psalm 139, Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know my sitting down, you know my standing up. You, you discern my thoughts from afar, he says. He says, you know a word before it's even on my lips. You know it all together. He says, such knowledge is too mighty for me. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I go from your presence? If I make my bed in heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. He says, you, you formed me in the inward parts. You knitted me in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. And my soul knows it real. My soul knows it real well that you know me. My frame was not hidden from you, O oh God, when you knitted me in the depths of the earth. You knitted me together. You know, listen to this, you know all my unformed substances. Think about that. You know all my, before you were made, before you were thought of. The components with which God used to make you. He said, you know all my unformed substances. He says, they are all written down in your book. The idea is this, that before you were even thought of, God designed you. I want her to look this way. I want this to be this way. I want to put this kind of gift, this kind of heart, this kind of... He designed you, all written in his book. He said, all of this was when there was none. Before, they all, before anything happened, he designed you. Let me tell you something. God knows you. 
He knows you deep, deep down. From time to time, I meet people who want to find themselves. Find themselves. You know, they'll go to some rural part of Bangladesh. I'm finding myself. This is a stupid idea. <laughs> if you want to go to Bangladesh, go to Bangladesh. But trying to find, you need your maker to show you you. He says, you know me, O Lord. Jesus came to him. Jesus looked at him. Jesus showed that he knows him. He called his name. He looked at him. He spoke to him. And thirdly, Jesus prophesied over him. He says to him, your name is Simon. You will be called Peter. Do you have any idea how many people walk into our churches on Sunday mornings? They might not jump up and run to the front and say, I need God in my life. But they get something of the gaze of the Almighty upon their soul. How do you think Peter walked away that day? I don't think he just forgot that moment. There's no way you would forget that moment. That he picked you out from a crowd and looked at you and knows your name and called you. And then says something about you that one day you will change. Your name will change. I don't think you get to sleep much that night. I think that thing runs again and again in your mind. How did he know me? How come he knew my name? What did it mean changing my name? I call all this the moment of conception. Because at this point, this guy is not yet a Christian. He has not yet given his heart to the Lord. He hasn't even said a word. But the Lord is impressing himself on him. Moment of conception. But then the moment of conversion, the reality of conversion comes about something like six weeks later. When Jesus walks by the lake there of Gennesaret. And he goes there. And there are two boats there. And Peter's is one of them. By now, if you were Peter, you'll probably think, I think Peter had a kind of love-hate relationship with this whole God-Rabbi-Jesus thing. He didn't want to stay away, but he didn't want to go there. Well, now Jesus is walking by Lake Gennesaret. It's a complete setup by the Lord. There's no doubt about it. He walked, and if you were Peter, you're probably thinking, is, is he coming to me? It's that guy again. Is that, is that, is that my, I, I haven't gotten over what happened the last time. And now he's coming, and I, I, just, I hope he doesn't come into my boat. I hope he doesn't come into, and Jesus walks, and, walks, and would you believe it? Straight to his boat. And says to him, would you, uh, would, you, would you move this thing out a little bit? He needs to preach to the people. Simon does as Jesus wants. Jesus preaches to the people. At the end of it, Jesus asks them, how is the fishing business going? <laughs> how is the fishing business going? And said, well, you know, we, we haven't caught anything all night. In those days, they would fish at night because then the fish would come to the surface. The whole thing is a lot easier. But on this day, they caught nothing. In fact, some of the other fishermen are already washing their nets. It's, it's just game over by now. How is it going? He said, we haven't caught anything. To which Jesus says, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you go back out and try again? Now Jesus is going to see the other side of Peter. 
Because Peter might not, he might be the kind of guy that doesn't speak much, but there are certain moments where go back out. I mean, we've done this all night. So he speaks to Jesus. Actually, what he says is this, master, calls him master. Don't think he's reverencing him. He's just respecting him. Master, we have been, we have toiled all night and we have caught nothing. He's saying it nicely, but there's no doubt about it. Inside his heart, let me take a flight of fancy here. I think in his heart he's thinking, really, go back out. Go back out. We've been there all night. I'm a fisherman. My father was a fisherman. In those days, you walk in your father's business. My father was a fisherman. My father's father was a fisherman. If we go out and we say there's no fish today, it's for this reason. There is none today. <laughs> so if you wouldn't mind, you do your rabbi stuff. I will do my fisherman stuff and life will be okay. But since you are the preacher guy, I will respect you, old master. We'll go back. We'll go. We'll go. Guys, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. There's no doubt. It was a kind of, let's just humor him. You know, don't let him look bad. He wants us to go back out. By now, the sun is probably coming out. The fish are, now is, the fish are totally gone. So they go out. And they cast the nets. I love the way one preacher put it. He says, and the way Jesus did it, he made every fish in the Sea of Gennesaret come right into that net. So much snow now, it is, they go from there's no fish to we can't even pull it in. There's so much of it. They had to get other people to come help them. They bring all this fish in, and by now the fishermen must be thinking, oh, unbelievable. This is looking like something we've never caught. What's happened here? From no fish to more than enough, more than ever. If you were Peter, what would you do at this point? What would you do at this point? You come back, Jesus is there standing. Look, I'm a Nigerian. I know what I would do. Because I have a business mind. I would say to Jesus, oh. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think we may have gotten off on the wrong foot. I want to apologize. <laughs> I, I, I sincerely want to apologize. You, 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 oh, you're good. <laughs> You're good. So, this is what I want to say to you, uh, Mr. Rabbi Guy. We could, we, could land on a, we could land on our feet here. If you could come here every Monday, and I come every Monday, you do your thing. I don't know what you did, but if you do that thing, and we can catch fish like this, we will split. I will get the fish, sell it, split the money down, 80, 20. And we are both laughing all the way to the bank. That, that would be my own proposition to him because this is a good business deal. Sky's good at fishing. But Peter doesn't say that. Peter doesn't say that. Peter says to him, Depart from me, for I am a sinner. What has this got to do with sin? This is a good miracle that just happened. He's come to your own boat. What do you mean sin? He says, depart from me because I am, I am a sinner. The moment of conversion really begins to happen when you recognize yourself 
as a sinner. You recognize, you catch the reality of the fact that you are a sinner. Your identity is that. You're a sinner. He recognizes it. And he only recognizes it because he comes in contact with the holy. He comes in contact with the holy. You have to see the holy God for you to see who you really are. Until then, you think too highly of yourself. He says to him, I'm a sinner. He says, depart from me. Please go, because I am a sinful man. His identity as a sinner, the majesty of the Savior. You know, there's something interesting in there, because Jesus, he says initially to Jesus, Master, Master, we have done this all when he was still being flippant. We have gone all night, Master, he calls him. But now when he comes back on his own knees, he calls Jesus Lord. He calls him Lord, capital L. He recognizes this is the Savior. True conversion happens when you, you, you recognize your identity as a sinner. You recognize his majesty as Savior. But not just that. You then actually know yourself as a saint. Your destiny as a saint. He says, Romans chapter 1 verse 7. He's talking to all those who are in Rome who have been called to be saints. That's who you are. Let me tell you the way Jesus changes you. He doesn't change you by force. He doesn't change you by beating you into submission. He loves you into correction. That's how he changes. My best way of thinking about this, the way it happened for me many, many years ago. When I was, um, uh, I went to preach in Zimbabwe for the first time. I went there and the pastor came, picked me up, you know, and he said, uh, okay, we'll, we're going to go home. He took me to his home. I'm living in his home uh, through those days. About three or four days I'm there. He had a nice home for me. And if you know these people, they serve you more than you deserve, you know. And uh, now you've got to know the kind of person I am when I travel, I carry like everything, you know. I pack like a girl. Everything is there. <laughs> Just in case, all my books, all my everything is in there, you know. And um, so when I get to a hotel room, wherever I'm staying, I'll put my, you know, suitcase on the bed. I'll open it up. I only sleep in one little bit of the bed. Open my shop night. Oh, see all my stuff. And then I'm happy. And in like five minutes, my wife says, I, I don't know. I don't know how in like five minutes you can mess up a really, really well-tidied room. But I, I don't know how I do it. But somehow, once I sit and open that thing up, Things happen. <laughs> On this day, here I am in Zimbabwe. I get to my room. I open up. Following morning, they knock the door and come to say to me, Pastor, it's time to you know, go and preach. So I get my stuff and I go and preach. And uh, when I came back, everything had been tidied up. All the books had been aligned. All the clothes had been... I, you know, I kind of felt bad. Because you think, you say, oh, what state did I leave this place in? I just, I felt bad, you know. And then the worst thing is, I go to the rest of the house and nobody says anything. They don't say, nobody says, was your room okay? We tidied your room. So I don't know who to thank. I just, it, it's just like, I, I left it. Following day, because I wake up pretty early in the morning, I open everything, everything is all out. They come to knock the door, time to go preach, I go and preach, I come back. Oh, no. This time... Not just had they tidied it, they had washed some of my clothes. 
Now you're thinking, what state? What state did I, what did I live hanging around the place? Everything is washed and ironed. Just the guilt that got me. I'm like, why am I such a bad person? Third day, I woke up super early. I tidied this place up. I took my phone out, took a photograph so I can show my wife, I can do this. Look at that, I can do this. And I went to preach. I came back and it was just as I had tidied it. Listen, somebody in that house, quietly, silently, I make a mess, they clean it up. I make a mess, they clean it up. I make a mess, they clean it up. And then at some point, even I don't want to make a mess anymore. I learn to clean it up. This is how the grace of God transforms us. He does not beat you into submission. He loves you into correction. At some point, you will say, I'm done with that sin. This is how it changes you. This is how it changes you. It means, therefore, the focus is really not on the sin. It's on him, Jesus Christ, son of the living God. He calls you, therefore, saints. From the moment you come to him, from that moment, before you change all the mess you have, he calls you a saint. Moments of conception, the reality of conversion, and then finally, the powerful commission. This man, Peter, from that moment began to follow Jesus. The Bible says, and on that day, Jesus said to him, follow me. Jesus said to him, fear not, I will make you a fisher of men. All your life, this is what you've been doing. I'm going to change that thing around, and I will make you a fisher of men. And the Bible says, and so they left everything, and they followed him. That's the, way, that's the only way to follow him. You leave everything. Because everything else you hang on to will probably pull you right back. They left everything, and they followed him. You would have to go all the way to the book of Matthew for you to really catch the end of the whole story, as it were, the powerful commission. Jesus Christ comes to the disciples and says to them, tell me, who do men say that the Son of Man is? Who do they say I am? And they said, well, some say that you're one of the prophets, some say you're Elijah, some say you're... And then he says, okay... Who do you say that I am? That's an important question. Who do you say Jesus Christ is? I might add, by the way, when he said, who do men say I am? Nobody said, oh, some say you're a thief, some say you're a liar, some say you're a cheat, some say you're mean, some say you're bitter, some say you're not a good work colleague. It's too sad when Christians have a horrible press out there in the workplace. You don't, it's not, you don't, where every time you don't rightly represent Jesus, you do violence to the gospel. Nobody said anything negative about him. Some said he's a prophet and so on. Who do you say that I am? Um, blah, 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 they're not sure. Blah, 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 blah. And then Peter, would you believe, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Three things in there. Who Jesus is. You are number one, the Christ. That is Savior. You are the Christ. You are the Son. That is the one that came from heaven to save mankind. And number three, you are the living God. In case you've never heard it clearly told you, I will tell you, Jesus Christ is God. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Jesus Christ is God. The Son of the living God. 
And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, <laughs> flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. The prophecy that he gave to him in John chapter 1 verse 42 said, One day you shall be called Peter. Gets realized on this day. When he says to him, you are Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, and therefore I say to you, you are Peter. In that moment, listen, he's not just calling him a name. He's calling something into him and calling something out of him. Says to him, you are Peter. It's done. It's fixed. From that moment, he becomes the pillar that God wanted him to be. This man, Peter, will go later on to do amazing things for God. Amazing things for God, a fisherman. I want to close with what I read to you earlier on. Although he began to walk with the Lord and with the disciples, in fact, he began to be the leader of the disciples, if you read it carefully. It was very often Peter that was the first one there speaking. So he's their leader now. But when Jesus died, when disappointment came, he didn't handle it so well. He didn't handle it so well. It broke him. It tore him. He just was beginning to wonder, what, what, what was all that about then? If it's just, he's gone. He had come to know Jesus and love Jesus. He walked with Jesus and prayed with Jesus. Everything. They left their families. They left everything for him. And now he's gone. Jesus rises from the dead and he sees them. By now, Peter had gone back fishing. He's having a crisis of faith. He's having moments of doubt. And Jesus comes to him. And Jesus is there. He's actually the seashore and he's cooking breakfast for them. They see him from afar. One of them says, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. And they all go to him. I don't think Peter was running. I think now Peter is as happy as he is to see him. It's almost like everything is starting all over again. This love, I'm glad to see him, but I'm concerned as well. Because by now, Peter has gone back to what he used to do, the fishing. And he comes there, and they're cooking and eating. Jesus is not unpleasant to him, but he does have a question for him. He says, Peter, son of John. He says, Simon, son of John. Do you love me more than these? And the these that he's referring to is not, do you love me more than the other disciples? Jesus Christ would never pit his children against his children. Do you love me more than these? The these are all this fish, the going, the catching. He just went back to what he knew to do. He was backslidden. He did not hate God, but he was backslidden. Do you love me more than these? And he says, Lord, I love you. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, Feed my sheep. In, in many churches, too sad, he would have been kicked out of leadership and kicked out. He's down and he's gone. Jesus comes to him, feed my sheep. He says to him a second time, do you love me? And he says, yes, I do, Lord. You know that I do. Feed my sheep. The third time he says, do you love me? And Peter was just broken by the time he asked the third time. It's, it's easy to miss something that is going on here. There's a deeper dynamic here. The different words for love. In the Greek, there are different words for love. There's one that is agape, the one that is God's love for us. It's so deep. 
that he gives everything for us. Nothing is held back. But there's another one, phileo. One is a cafe, the other one, phileo, is like, you're a good friend. When Jesus comes to him and says to him, do you agape me? Do you love me? Leave everything for me. P- P- Peter says, I, I really like you. That's the word he uses for love. I really like you. Jesus says the second time, do you agape me? And Peter says, I re- you know everything. You know, Lord, you know everything. And I, I like you. I really do. But he is not going to the highest level. And then the third time Jesus says, okay, do you phileo? Do you like me? And at that moment, Peter broke down. Broke down because maybe I have now come. He, he comes down to my level. But this is the kind of love that God has. Wherever you are at, he will come down to that level. Grace like water always flows to the lowest parts, Philippians, she says. Do you, have, do you love me this much? It's like, I'm not sure that I do. So he steps down and says, okay, I'll come down to where you are and let's start there. What is your love and your walk with the Lord like? He wants to make you a pillar. And there's some of you that your walk with him is good and strong and dynamic. Well, I thank the Lord for you. But there are some of us, from time to time, it wanes. From time to time, it loses something. And with, it's, 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 no more, it's not strident anymore. It's gotten weak. We still like him. We like him. I think he wants to come pick you up from where you are and say, okay, let's settle it. Where are you at? And I'll come there and I'll come get you from there and bring you all the way back to the place and to the position, to the solidity and the stability and strategically the place that I want to place you, the place where I'm going to use you. As we're going to have communion this morning, let this thought be in your mind and see the Savior coming to get you. God bless.